0: Hello, everybody. Chris here again with another episode of Indie Talk. Today, Nick and I hop on a call, have a conversation, if you will, about the four choices filmmakers need to make to ensure they reach their goals, if their goal is to make good art and uh, make a little money at the end of the day. And then we also talk about the four systematic obstacles walls, if you will, that uh, need to be torn down by the indie filmmaking community. These four walls that I think and believe hold indie filmmakers back. So I hope you enjoy this. Uh, If you have questions, hit us up. Contact at bonsai.film is the email. You can find us on social at underscore bonsai creative. All right. Talk again soon and enjoy this episode of Indie Talk. Ciao. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Banzai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, Chris here with another episode of Indie Talk, a make it podcast series featuring me, me, myself, Chris Barkley, and my (laughs) co-founder and good buddy, Nicholas Bucks. Nick, say hello. That's a crazy pause, right? (laughs) The, The radio hates dead air. Doesn't it? <laughs> it's like the audience just then was like, "What? What? What? What happened?" Did, <laughs> it's like, did I pause it on accident? Do you, okay, no. so, so Nick, do, do you do you believe in the in the sales trope, I guess, or the uh, the the sales um, sort of best practice that the first person that talks in a negotiation loses. Do you believe that? Like, like in terms of like pregnant pauses, like you get some of the most epic pregnant pauses in, in a, in a situation where you're negotiating with someone. Right. So you're saying that the first person who speaks
1: in the negotiation is yeah. the loser. That's the trope. No, no, I don't believe that. Yeah. Yeah. So- can't, I mean, can't be, man. Can't be that black and white. Well, so, yeah, I, in, in, I
0: in this yeah. context, Nick, though, the pressure is always on the person asking the question, like in a, in a real negotiation. For example, if I'm negotiating with you and I say, so, Nick, what do you think? Can I have your business for these 50 widgets? Now, if you have the. If I've priced overpriced you for those widgets and you know it and you have the here's the idea. The theory is this: If you have the courage to not speak, then me, the salesperson that has all the pressure on them to make the sale, a lot of you know uh, salespeople will not be able to endure the silence, and they'll perceive the silence as they've said something wrong, and so the salesperson will will interject on the on their pause and say. Well, you know, if that doesn't work for you, Nick, then how about we do 40 widgets at this price? And then if you continue to stay quiet, you'll see some salespeople just just keep whittling it down. Okay, how <laughs> about how about I give you 100 widgets at half the price? You know, like, yeah, and so just you're talking more going. about
1: the pause than it is. And, and the pause and the ask versus who speaks first.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's I don't know, again, if it's an absolute. And I, and I wonder how that applies with, with, with film. And how well, filmmakers I think can use it. Because because uh, filmmakers seem like they're the ones asking yes. for the sale. Exactly. Um, and so I would say to filmmakers, ask, you know, use Bonsai to find out how much your film is worth, first of all, uh, by using our proprietary algorithm for Ding. real-time value. <laughs> Ding. There, there's a little <laughs> we'll plug. Yeah. But then ask for that and – don't feel bad about it where you have to jump back in and say, well, if that's not good for you, we're certainly open to talk, right? That's what happens. And now you've given the control over to the buyer and they're like, okay, well, let's talk. How does $0 for your film sound? Yeah, Yeah, it's funny about that
1: though, right? So the $0 is, or that's modus operandi, right? That's Mm -hmm. the MO of so many of the distributors that are out there. And so many filmmakers are willing to take that, uh, in exchange for distribution, right. And what distribution strictly means is getting the film out into the world.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. And, um, a lot of times it's just the idea of letting the people closest in your life know that you've made a movie and you have, um, put that movie in a place where they can see it. Um, or and it or, or, or like, like see it, see it online, even not yeah. even watch it, but just like see it on Instagram, maybe like an image of it somewhere. <laughs> like, like there's, there's, there's a, uh, you know, we know artists and artists having, have incredible need for, um, approval validation. and validation and, and, and all that stuff. So, um, that's that that's what you're, we're looking for. They're looking for it now. And I think in general. So before we get too far ahead of ourselves today, we're going to talk, we're going to expound upon and elaborate upon our last conversation. OK, for all those listening out there um, in our last talk, we sort of, you know, stuck our feet in the water a little bit on uh, what the choices are that you're making about your film as you go through the pre-production principal photography post-production and, and sales process, you know, what choices are you making along the way? Uh and how do those choices um point to the outcomes you actually want? Um, how do they align with the outcomes you you say you want? Um, because maybe what you say you want, you haven't made choices to support that. And then um and then I think this talk about uh, distributors fits right into that. Um if we reverse engineer back from the sales process back to, you know, pre-production Nick, But I think that, I think the thing we were talking about earlier is that there were like 2000 some odd distributors and you can use IMDB pro to sort of find out who are the top 50, you know, who are the top 25 and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But but me and you personally know about distributors that have a slate of films. That's, you know, let's say a hundred films deep. And, you know, almost all of them are universally one and two star movies. And to me, you know, and and I would say it should be to, you know, a filmmaker as well. You know, if you see that, that should be a red flag, right? To to maybe not go with that distributor, not fall into the ego trap of somebody likes me, somebody likes me, somebody wants to buy my movie. Because we talked about this before. Um, and even Serena Khan, uh, producer, writer that we interviewed uh, in last week's episode, talked about the game within the game, the game that happens in this industry. And and we talked about this, I think, four episodes ago, four Indie Talks ago. One of the games in this industry is, is there's a business inside of a business. So you think the business is for them to distribute your film. And in fact, their business is to collect Intellectual property at zero cost to them because they're going to not pay, they're going to pay you no money and they're not going to give you any MG or minimum guarantee and they're not they have some system in play where they're going to put your movie somewhere where people can see it but it's not going to end up at, in terms of money for you and I think Nick one of the things you always say is even if it results in one dollar a profit for the distributor that's one dollar they didn't have to pay for it's one dollar they didn't have before. And it's one dollar sort of above the margin, you know, so to speak, right?
1: Yeah, indeed. And you multiply that over a slate of a thousand films, you know, and if they're making that one dollar per month for a film they didn't pay for, you multiply that over a thousand films as a thousand
0: dollars a month for free to them. Right, and and of course we're being we're we're sure it's more than a dollar, but, right? But, but then even beyond that, I think the there's a there's another angle which is people outside of the art community, outside of the film community, they don't really know what makes a movie work and not work. They don't they don't really know what makes a movie good and and not good. They find it to be completely subjective like watching gymnastics. But the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the so what what they're able to do, the distributors are able to do is they're able to leverage their IP, their their intellectual property for loans and advances and grants and all sorts of money. And that's the real business.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's business, right? So some of it is shady, illegal. Some of it is shady, unethical. Some of it is just business, right? So as a filmmaker, if you give your property away for free, and then the distributor takes, let's say, fifty percent of all profit. That's just business. Yep. Right. There's nothing wrong with right. that deal. You're gonna sign the contract. They're gonna do what they said they're gonna do in the contract. They paid nothing up front for the for the IP. They're gonna get paid on the back end. And the reason they're getting paid is because you believed, uh, rightfully or not that they were the only ones who could get you onto the platforms to recoup your money. So we know that self distribution is real, right? You can put the things up on the platforms yourself. So it's not like the distributors are the only ones. Um, So when you're working with a distributor and they're giving you nothing, and let's say that distributor is also not doing any marketing, any promotion for you, then you do have to question is getting your film up on the platform that you could do yourself, is that worth that 50% or even 25% that they're taking from you? Right. Right. That's, that's, that's a question to ask. But again, you know, that all comes back to what your goals are uh, for your film. Uh, In some degree it's, uh, it's what the goals are for your daily life. Right, because some folks just want to get it distributed, get it out there, and then don't want to do any extra effort on top of that. Right, so if you're not willing to do any marketing work, any promotional work, and you just want someone else to kind of take it from here, uh-huh.
0: okay, it's a great deal. <laughs> you know, go for it. Right, because we talked about that before, how filmmakers sort of run out of energy at the end of the at the end of the at the end of post. Right, yeah. you don't have anything left to give that movie, uh, that project, and they're ready to move on to the next one. And, and, and that's something that probably is systematic to a degree too, that, that in, in indie films specifically, we need to fix, which is the success of the film financially, um, might not be the number one priority for the filmmakers it, it right. might just be the fact that they're doing the work, right? Like, yeah. Making like, the art. Yeah. I'm shooting a film. I'm making the art. Um, you know, I'm doing all these different things. Um, it, you know, if you're DP in a film, Hey, I got to work on this project, get experience. I'm on set. I'm making a movie. It's great. And then really the producers and the, and the executive producers are like, okay, we, we need this movie to do well, but, You know, we we didn't guide this process well enough to ensure that it could be profitable in the back end. And I think that's, that's, that's troublesome. I mean, that's, that's something that needs to, to change, especially in independent film specifically where there's a little bit more skin in the game for profit for, um, the directors and, and the, the DP and some of the other people who are actually on set making the film where they're a little bit more connected you know
1: yeah and i think i think you're right you know you're right on your spot on when you say that they lose the energy but i think that there's also that many of the filmmakers don't know what to do after the film has been made right like their training is in the making mm-hmm. right their training isn't in the selling right their training isn't in the marketing so they're expecting or hoping or wishing that the distributor that takes their film will do all that work for them. And I think we can say kind of unequivocally, like, unless you were talking about, you know, you've got major stars, recognizable stars, and you've already begun working with a distributor at the beginning, you know, maybe they're actually coming on to help produce the film There's no way they're gonna do that work for you on the on the tail end, right? So if you got a finished product and you're bringing it to one of these distributors, they're not gonna do this work for you, right? So I think that's kind of like a myth. You know, if we could dispel a myth about distribution, it's that it's that no, they're not gonna do this work for you. It's still on you to market your film. So either hire some people like us to support that um, or just you better be prepared yourself to do that work when the film is over.
0: Yeah. And, and we, we keep saying that, and I, I'm not sure we're always 100% believe because I think that the, the um, buyers are always really convincing about what they're going to do to make this movie a smash or whatever, you know? And, and so a lot of times, um, are you going to listen to a couple of guys talking on a podcast that have some experience or are you going to listen to the guy who wants to buy your movie? The guy, yeah. guy who wants to buy your movie. So, it, so it, becomes, th- it becomes a tough thing. So I, I get it too. I get like why there's the, there's the energy to do it. There's the trouble. There's the lack of knowledge to do it. And then there's the person in front of you that says they're going to do it for you that you want to believe with your all of your heart, your whole heart, that that it's going to happen. Yeah, but let me, you
1: know, the funny thing about that is that I would say, and again, we haven't talked to every distributor to know that this would be the case, but I would say that most of those distributors aren't going to tell you that they did a thing to make a movie successful. They're going to point you to a movie or two or four or five in their slate that was successful as if it's the norm, right? They'll get you excited about the possibility of being like that film. But no one ever studies that film, right? No one looks at that thing and says, well, why was that one successful? Did you do extra marketing for them? Was there a campaign? No, it was probably because that film had the things that it needed to have, right? Like the story uh, had significant social relevance at the time that it came out. You know, it was a strong story. It was a very good story. It was innovative. It was new. It was compelling. They had the bankable cast, Uh you know, recognizable cast that helped almost sell itself. Like that was already there. And then the quality of the film itself from a cinematography standpoint, sound, the way it looked like it was a film that you would see in a theater type of thing. So, like, all of those things were the factors that came through to make their examples hit, but uh-huh. filmmakers go in thinking, "Oh, it was this distributor that helped make it happen," and I would say almost guarantee that that's not the case. Right. So, buyer beware. Yeah, and, <laughs>
0: and, and and the distributors that are good, they'll they'll place it and make it make people compelled as possible. So it's it's not all bad, you know. Right. But, But a lot of it has to do with those choices. So I want to get into that a little bit, dig into some of the choices filmmakers can make um, to ensure that their movie uh, uh, reaches the goal. Assuming the goal is to um, make good art and to make good art that makes good money as well. And then I'll also chime in a little bit with um, just a list of, of walls that I think um, should be torn down or altered or rebuilt in a different way where they're pro-indie film. And these are uh, walls and obstacles that exist for indie filmmakers um, that were put there as, quote unquote, sort of a a benefit to indie filmmakers. So... Um, Go ahead first. You know, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about what what's the what's the checklist? You know, let's say top five items that a filmmaker should really think about, um, and and, and do uh, you know, put the most diligence behind as they go in their film go on in their filmmaking journey to ensure they reach the goal of making good art and making good money.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, for me, there's probably you know, there's a top three, uh, and then the fourth. Um, kind of wraps all of those things up into a package. Um, and there's probably some other things, you know, we, we have our models that, that we leverage when reviewing films that have a number of factors that we can kind of break down. Um, but, you know, first and foremost, to get back to, you know, what you always say about story being king, you know, you got to have a great story. And uh, one of the things that's important with that story is kind of social relevance, And the reason why the social relevance is important is because social relevance allows you to mobilize an audience. Right. Like like that's that's a key factor there, uh, especially for independent film, is that you need this thing to 10x, 20x, 100x, 1000x, the investment you put into it. And the only way to do that is to have an audience that's willing to speak, that's speaking for you, Uh because through your film, you're speaking for them. So it's not just about being creative and innovative and new, like having your own your own special idea. That's great for the art. Right. But if you can't find an audience that you can mobilize around your message or the themes that are in your film you're going to have a very hard time, you know, making a, a marketable product. So that's one of the first things is, is literally the story again, having a quality story that has themes and underpinning elements that have social relevance so that you can have an audience, you can mobilize around your story. And that is before anything gets put on film. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of key point number one, underpinning thing that connects everything else to that. So uh, the next thing on, on my list of things, my number two is cast. And this is because, you know, we've had enough conversations with both um, buyers, you say distributors, sellers, uh, that that's what they're looking for. You know, like you've said it before, you know, the star system is dead. You know, you're not looking at top five stars that are just going to guarantee you. You know top billing you're not looking at that what you're looking at is recognizable talent that can again bring you the audience that you're looking for it's all about leverage in the audience right that's that's why these movies are successful is because there's some familiarity you know with the cast mm-hmm. you know so even if they've been on a tv series for the past five years but they're not a a big uh, theater name that's okay because that that one name can give the the viewer the potential viewer some confidence that it's a quality product and they'll come to see it so having bankable cast is to me one of the the biggest you know right now the second biggest thing that that a filmmaker can do to help ensure that there is profitability at the other end of the film Um, and then the, the third thing you know, I'd uh, just say that's the kind of the top three. The third thing is cinematography. You know, the thing has got to look good. It's got to sound good. And if you were to give it a gauge, kind of like sniff test. Well, you know, the
0: sound and the look, those are kind of different areas, but. Oh, yeah, but they're areas that need. Yeah, some, of course. But, you know, but, right? but, it's, but it's not it's cinematography <laughs> and sound engineering,
1: let's say. Right? Yeah, so cinematography, sound engineering. Um, and the, the bottom line, the underlying thing with this is that. Does this thing look like the movies you see in the theater?
0: Mm, yeah, it reminds me of uh, of uh, and, and here's my music drop for the day. <laughs> it reminds <laughs> me of of being in the music business when um, I would I would talk to uh, my co members and things like that, and I'd say, "You think that we're competing against the other local people here? No, we're competing against everyone that's already made it. Also,
1: that's right because they've set the bar." Right, <laughs> right. That's the expectation, and everyone at the, especially the top distributors, are looking to be in that same crew. Right, that they they want the top folks to be their peers. So, if the distributors that you want to target want to have blockbuster films in their peer group, then the look, the sound, all of these things have to appear like some of the things that were made for tens of millions of dollars.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. I think. And that, and that takes an objectivity that might require development, personal development to get to because sometimes critique. we listen to our own shit or we watch our yeah. own stuff and we're like, Oh my God, this is incredible. And, and really it might not be. Right. Right. So we we, we were not honest about would we buy that? Um, You know, and it's, it's, you know, I'm I've been a lot more forward this year about calling out people who who are hashtag indie film, but they don't buy anything. They don't support any indie people. They don't spend their indie money on indie people. (laughs) So so, you know, there's that issue. And then and then just the issue of, yeah, you're indie, but that doesn't automatically mean. That it's that it's you know um, unique art that that you're that you're a very very good artist uh, that's that's of the people because you're indie you could actually just be a sucky artist right <laughs> like so you have to have that objectivity and be able to say would I actually buy that doesn't mean anything to me yeah and if you can't have that
1: then of course the critique right if you're opening yourself to the critique of others and you get the right people to look at your stuff and we've talked about the friends and family problem. You know, where people don't want to tell you that your shit stinks um, because you're talking to the wrong people. You're talking to your cheerleaders, right? Your cheerleaders will never tell you that your stuff stinks. Uh, You need to be talking to the people who are going to actually take you to the next level by giving you the constructive criticism uh, to affect your work in the right way and move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, I would say, those are the critical factors that I think that every indie filmmaker seeking to make money needs to consider. So, you know, we talk about cast. We, You know, you love your friends in film. You love your, your actor friends. Um, and you want to put them in your film. You want them to have a major part because you want to help them with their careers. That's fine. Do that. Right, that can be why you make a film, but that's not how you make your money. Right? Like if you want to make your money, have bankable, recognizable cast in your film. From the cinematography and sound standpoint, same thing. Your buddy who's working on his or her craft and they're working through some kinks, if you want to just help them and make some art, go for it. But if you're trying to make money, you need to get the person who's seasoned. You know that is not working through the kinks, but has already worked all that stuff through, and other uh, short films, and maybe some other features. And now you know that you can count on them to make your film look and sound like what you're going to see in a theater. So these are the you know those main factors. So story, cast, cinematography, and sound are the top three things. And if I add the fourth that I mentioned before, that wraps everything in, is do you have and did you develop from day one, right? If you didn't do it day one, shame on you. Uh, But as long as you have it at some point, which is what is your marketing and sales strategy, Mm -hmm. right? Like if if you're thinking about that, especially from day one, your chances of making a sale to a distributor that can help you make money, especially if you've done those other three things, is high because you've done the three things that these distributors are looking for and you've delivered a strategy that can be executed when it's time to go to market. So that's the kind of the fourth thing is that you've built a strategy to leverage your story, your cast, your cinematography and sound to deliver something to a distributor that they can leverage and that you can partner with them on. In getting your film out into the world, mobilizing an audience, uh, leveraging the uh, the audience of your cast members and making some money on that back end. Yeah. For,
0: and we have a, a dear filmmaking friend um, who uh, has said to us on a number of occasions, I'm ready to, to, to level up. And when you really read between the lines what he's saying is, is that he's ready to make great art with great talents. Yep. And the question is, why does one need to go to a different city, uh, go to a different level income wise, go to a different uh, um, type of you know, go to a studio, let's say, studio filmmaking process, um, Hollywood film. Why does one need to do that to level up? And so that's one of the challenges we're trying to, to to confront head on is how can we get the leveled up talent to start being at the indie level so that we get more narrative in the theaters and get more movies that tell human stories and and don't rely on like the idea that uh, Hobbs and Shaw made a hundred and eighty million dollars over their first weekend, and that was a disappointment. That's that's not a sustainable model. That's not sustainable, you know. Not when not when ten percent of the populace at this point or less goes to movie theaters. So that's that you you can't spend so much money on a on a on a film and on the marketing of the film that. A movie over three days can make $180 million in everyone's, you know, SMH, you know? <laughs> oh, I'm mad. <laughs> like, <laughs> everyone's shaking their head like, like, what? Like, that's a shit ton of money. Like, the movie will probably make a billion dollars. So I'm, right. not, I'm not weeping for either one of them. But yeah. just that's not a sustainable model is all I'm saying. And it, and, and it boxes out, like if that becomes the standard for what a movie should look and sound like and feel like, it boxes out everyone else in the creative game that wants to do something that might not cost $200 million to make and, and market, right? So um, while I'm on my soapbox, can I get on my soapbox, Nick? Man, I'll build it for you. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe this maybe this is a new segment in indie talk called You're right <laughs> called the soapbox yeah um so i have a little gripe and and it's actually not a little law cuz it it would be uh, our life's work to to improve this or topple it these items but i have essentially four areas four things that prevent indie filmmakers from uh, doing what a lot of f- filmmakers and creatives said is is making it. So remember early on when we first would do these uh, walk around podcast recordings, uh, handheld before the podcast officially rolled out, we'd always ask, what does making it mean to you? And invariably, you know, 80% of them would say, I just want to pay my bills doing what I love. Right. So that's that's what's really interesting is that no one really wants to be, you know, outwardly, at least socially, no one wants to be filthy rich. Like, just like we, we literally had one person I remember, and uh, he's a, he's a, he's a producer that we love, but I think he was the one person that gave like the 100% honest answer, which was, I want to be a billionaire. (laughs) (laughs) We said, what, you know, how much do you want to earn? And what does making it mean to you? But most everybody says, Hey, I just want to pay my bills doing, doing my art. So if that's honest, and that's truly the goal, then there are all these, there are these four primary, there's more than this, but there are these four primary walls that were built to help filmmakers that actually keep filmmakers from doing that. And um, Nick, me and you should, should systematically try to go in with whatever weapons we have, and intelligence and, and and wits we have to try to change this or, or break it down. So number one is gear. Gear prices. And my, my biggest issue with with gear uh, is, is that the price of the equipment it takes to shoot a film that looks and sounds like the films you might buy or go see in the theater, like you mentioned, Nick, those prices don't align with Moore's Law. Right. And Moore's Law talks about how technology will continually get less expensive because the capability doubles up on itself. Right. And and it's very, very obvious at this point that the camera industry, the film industry, the gear, everything it takes, the microphones, everything it takes to make a film, they are for sure price fixing, right? A small group of, of companies make the gear that, that it really takes to make a great film. So Red, uh, Aria, um, you know, there's there's a handful of companies that that make the cameras, for example, right? Like, why does a Red cost between, you know, $12,000 and $30,000? And then when you get it, you don't even have everything you need to shoot. When we know that um like multiple directors have shot entire movies on iPhones because the, the camera's so good in that right so i'm um, and they and of course they do use you know aftermarket lenses on the iPhone but those are we're talking $200 lenses and things like that so folks that are trying to put cameras in the hands of new creatives stop price fixing we know the technology to make a camera is not anywhere close to the price you're selling it for. It's not anywhere close. It just isn't. And we so have what to what about we have alternatives?
1: To so what about alternatives? I think you know, in you and I had discussed this topic briefly, briefly before, and you had mentioned, you know, instead of the red, there's other options. Not just a, an iPhone, but there's other options that filmmakers could use and master for you know half or a fifth, potentially a 10th of the price. Um, so is there also, when you talk about barriers, it's not just the pricing, but is there also just the perception that one needs to pay that amount to make a quality film? And if filmmakers on their side change their perception, then maybe the $6,000 camera couldn't meet their needs.
0: No, no. The, the truth is, is that, you know, the, the dollars dollars camera does so, 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 so much more than like even a, a, a Canon 5d, which is like, you know, the indie filmmakers first movie camera in many cases. Um, but, but yeah, you can make a quality film with a lesser camera, if you have that level of expertise on how to make that movie look and feel the way it ought to feel and sound the way it ought to sound. Um, but people aren't typically trained to do it. It takes a lot of experience and know how, and you, and you have to, you have to game the system a little bit to, to get what you want from with that gear. Right. And, and maybe to your point, that kind of gear doesn't align with the dream of being a filmmaker either. Like if you, you you know, if you grew (laughs) up idolizing, um, Spielberg, then you want to shoot the way Spielberg shot. Right. So there's part of that, but, but I also just think it's training too. Like, you know, we know a lot of people in technology. And when you get trained on Microsoft products in college and you come out and get a job in, in, in technology, you're going to work, you know, uh, in, in that NetSuite, um, you know, in that active directory in that, you know, in that environment, right. You're going to get all those types of certifications and things like that. So when you try to talk to that person about using, uh, Linux or using Macintosh, you're like, I don't know about that. Right. Right. Because it, because it, it puts them out of their comfort zone and makes them feel like, well, I'm not an expert in that. I don't know that. And, and I don't want to come off as someone who isn't knowledgeable, right?
1: Especially um, in the making of things, right? You can't afford the time to potentially to relearn, right? Or to learn something new. Um, because if you've had that training for some period of time and you want to make
0: something, then you want to leverage the training that you have. So, yeah, I totally get it. Yeah. But, but the bottom line is there's a small... Cartel of companies that make this equipment, make all the gear, make the boom mics, make the lights, everything. Now, lights are pretty cheap, but you know they, they make all of it. And I just don't think it, it, you know, it shouldn't cost what it costs per day to have this equipment to rent it or to own it. Um, especially if you're saying, "Hey, we're here for the filmmaker. We're here to put gear in the hands of new creatives. No, if you are, then then show it because we know. That it doesn't cost what you're saying it costs to, to do this, right? Um, yeah, got it. So next one is casting directors. So if if you're a, a casting director and you know you're working with an indie film budget, I I think you should have a sliding scale for your fee. They they act uh, casting directors are are integral to doing what you just said which is to make sure you have bankable cast and because they know how integral they are to the success of the movie they charge accordingly and therefore indie filmmakers tend not to get casting directors and instead they just cast the movie with their friends in film and then they try to get you know one name through their producers and calling out the agents. And if the script's great, maybe they'll come in and get a few names and things like that. But a casting director is important. I think any film maker should be able to go and get a casting director without spending fifteen thousand dollars on their services. And you might say, Well, the casting's got to pay their rent too. Yeah, they do. And they can pay their rent by charging 30 grand to Sony, right? Or fifty yeah. grand to Sony. And let the indie filmmaker get your services for three grand.
1: Right. Right.
0: Like it's not like there should be a sliding scale and they should have the courage to do that. And every film isn't a payday for everybody. Right. Like, you know, help the indie filmmaker move their projects forward, get that experience, get films under their belt. Um, Next one. And you've heard me rant about this before. Indie film houses, quote unquote, Indie film houses and theaters. And here's my beef. When you go to self-distribute your film, you may want to screen it in town. Yep. All right. So you're self-distributing or maybe you have a distributor and you have the theatrical rights and you want to you want to run your 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 film in a, in a quote unquote Indie house. that's in town. Well, right. The issue for is. Wallet. Yeah. For wallet. So the issue is is that these indie, these quote unquote, indie houses that support independent film, and I'll tell you about that in a second, why I keep saying, quote unquote, um, they want to charge you a rental fee. Usually the rental fee is between $1,500 and $3,000. So they're good. They made some upfront money on money that as an indie filmmaker, you probably didn't have. And then they'll do a split with you on the door. Now, the split can be anywhere from 60-40 in their favor to maybe... We heard recently 8515 in your favor. And that sounds pretty sweet, but I think it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do not charge an upfront rental fee to an indie filmmaker that's in your town. And here's why all indie houses stay open based on tax dollars and donations from foundations that support guess who? The Independent Ch- Arts. The independent arts. So you have, um, and look, you know, you know, I won't, I won't be shy. I'm, I, I look at Belmont Theater. I love Belmont Theater here in Nashville, where, where I'm at. Um, great theater, historic. You go in, you look on the wall. They have, um, you know, uh, a wall of honorees, people who donated money to renovate that theater, make it relevant again, keep it open. And these are all foundations that, uh, that give to independent artists, not just in film, but independent artists across the board. So then you turn around and you tax the independent artist up front to, to run a movie they made in your town. I don't like it. I, I think it's ridiculous. And it should just be a 50-50 split. Run the movie for a weekend. It won't be the end of the world you're still gonna run uh, a major Hollywood movie right you're still gonna make that money and you're still splitting the door so you're still gonna make money on the film and you've empowered the independent filmmaker and you've helped the the town that they're in so if you're an indie house in 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 Iowa if you're an indie house in uh, Minnesota an indie house like like in Utah listen up stop charging upfront fees rental fees for your theater, for four-walling, for independent filmmakers?
1: So though I can glean the answer from the context of what you just said, um, I'd like you to to directly answer this question or this comment about what you just said. Okay. Well, these indie film houses have to pay their rent. So they have to charge an upfront fee because they need
0: to pay their rent. What do you say to that? Well, I say that they have multiple ways to pay their rent. Um, most indie theaters have more than one screen. And um, if, if you're an indie film and you are taking up a weekend, um, there's a good chance that that's not going to kill your whole month uh, on margins. Um, the other thing is, is that the money... You know, a lot of indie house, like I said, are are they're historical, and they're they're kept open by tax breaks, um, uh, donations, donations, monies. Yep. So, like a university, they they have a contingency fund for this, so they're going to be able to pay their rent. They're they're like there's not going to be a situation where someone bulldozes the Bell Court Theater in Nashville. Right. So that's that's the the indie film house here. Right. So, you know, they should just do door splits. I think that's the right thing to do. You're running other movies that are big Hollywood movies. You're going to make your money. People want to be seen there anyway. It's the it's the problem Applebee's is happening now happening. uh, The the problem Applebee's is uh, having right now, rather (laughs) people don't want to go there and take a picture and put it on Instagram because it's not cool to be an Applebee's, right? right? You can't, you yeah, can't yeah. be like hashtag Applebee's. <laughs> um, it's not cool. So they're having a hard time finding, right? So Bill Court and, and indie and other indie film houses across the nation don't have that problem because it makes you look cool to be at the indie place. And because it's uh you're, you're signaling something, you're signaling virtue and art to the world when you do that. So to to me even even if you only had one movie you're running and it was an indie film, all those art house people would show up and watch it anyway cuz it'd be the movie to watch and they want to be there. And that's just that you know, you can market against that stuff and 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 be fine. Um,
1: and isn't there something to be said or isn't there a similarity there to like hotels you know that have vacant rooms? You know, I think that some of these indie film houses, you know, they're not 100% booked. You know, so it's kind of like, well, you can either take a split on an indie film or your theater might be empty for the night. Yeah. Right. So why charge the upfront two grand when you were going to be empty anyway? And taking that split brings you more than zero. Right. So it's kind of like that. That's another one for me where it's like, yeah, I mean, just go to 50 50 because. You weren't going to make money that night anyway, or, you know, you weren't running in that in that theater. You know, maybe you were running a, a blockbuster film and you're in one of your theaters and the other one was left open. Why not make that available to an indie filmmaker at a 50 50 split? Again, it's more than zero. Yeah. It's so maybe. Zero. Yeah. So maybe there's something there for for the people who are listening, the filmmakers who are listening. You know, maybe there's a way that we can mobilize around this concept and having start having these conversations with indie film houses to say, "Hey, look. Again, if you're trying to support independent artists, then this is the type of thing that we need to do. Like collectively, we need to make a shift mm-hmm. to promote them, to enable them." Especially in, a, in the times where the indie filmmakers haven't come around to the understanding and the idea and the importance of having this marketing budget and this sales budget built in to their films, right? So knowing that that's the case right now is basically knowing that they don't have the additional 2000 or they're going to have to stretch for the 2000 or the 3000 They can put on a credit card or, you know, they're going to, you know, beg, borrow, and plead for the money to get it and make it four-walled. We know that they're in that position where they haven't budgeted for or acquired those funds already. So knowing that, help be part of the shift and do the 50-50 split And then, you know, again, we start we continue to have this conversation about the important things that filmmakers need to have and to consider throughout their films so that they can be successful on the back end.
0: Yeah. And the shit rolls downhill, you know, frankly, because somebody pays for that. Right. So. Okay, they didn't have the three grand, so they go back to their executive producers, they go borrow some more money, they pay for that thing, and now that's just, an, you know, add that to the debit balance of the money they have to make to make money on the film.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: Right? And then, okay, so now they've done that, so now they've they've lost they, let's say the, the gets that debit balance gets too high, they don't make money back on the film. Now they've lost a, a a basket of high net worth individuals or executive producers or art lovers that will not invest in their next film because it's a poor investment. And and I just think the community can help make these better investments so that when you go to make your second film as a filmmaker, your executive producers and investors take that ride with you. You know, the whole thing reminds me of telephone wires and cell towers. You know what I mean? Uh, let Let me explain. As taxpayers, we pay to have telephone wires and telephone poles built and cell towers built and radio towers built. And then the government turns around and sells it to private industry, who then sells the services that come off those lines back to us. Right. So it's a double whammy to the people. And I just feel like this whole indie film house thing is like the indie filmmakers, are the taxpayers, and we're going to fuck them. Um, <laughs> um, so, last but not least, distributors. And I, I think that so many of these walls that we've talked about are things that, if they're not careful, they'll be replaced by a better system. You know, people say, well, technology messed up the the film business because people you know would would prefer to you know watch it on home video and wait versus going to the theater no it wasn't the technology it was a different way to do something and the movie theaters were arrogant like blackberry was arrogant for example and they just didn't change right and so oh, yeah it's so clear and you know, apparent now yeah yeah it, the streaming movie didn't put blockbuster out of business blockbuster was incredibly arrogant actually reed hastings the uh, try to cut a deal with blockbuster and the whole world would be different right now if blockbuster had said yes but they wanted to crush netflix instead and thought their model was better and that people liked renting movies and liked late fees and <laughs> and liked the structure they had set up and and it's just like this incredible arrogance you get when you're doing the same thing over and over so this makes me think about distributors um, uh, the distributors in indie film you know the top 20 they're probably legit right and, the, and they're and they're doing good things um, but you know everyone else it's this it's this thing where you you take something of value you pay no money for it. And then you charge back money for marketing that you may or may not even do. And I think that that system, while it is the traditional sort of film system for distribution, like I mentioned with, with uh, Hobbs and Shaw, I think that's the name of the movie. I hope I'm saying that movie's name, right? Yeah, you are. Um, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. To, to, there's a certain level where you spend so much that it doesn't make sense, right? And so, if you know you're buying an independent film, I think it's important to be legitimate and honest with your independent filmmaker and say, "This is what your film's going to do. Here's the kind of upfront fees that that Hulu, Netflix, iTunes pay, whatever, and um, and and here's what you're going to get, and then make the deal equal because. Just like I said with the gear prices, how how it doesn't align with Moore's Law, distributors don't align with the current world we're in. We're in 2019, and there's going to be an aha moment, hopefully, where filmmakers, where their fingers snap or someone in technology who actually cares about art, where they say, now, why do movies get distributed this way? And why is it so hard for an independent filmmaker to, to make even a penny? Like, and why are the investors not getting their money back again? Like, they're going to start, you know, if the movie's good, right? Like, like, let's just say that as the baseline, right? And they're going to create technology. And I think that technology already exists. It just hasn't been applied to film where we won't need the distributor, right? And this already happened in music, right? You don't need an A&R person to go to a live show anymore in music. They just need to go on YouTube, And then they need to use their YouTube tools to find, you know, top subscribers and, you know, top subscribe YouTube accounts and music that are unsigned talent. And then that's that's A&R today. Right. And Mm -hmm. those people don't even have to sign with that person. There's like a fight. Like, do I want to sign here or do I want to just keep self-distributing because I can keep all my money and they're not going to be able to do anything that I'm not going to be able to do. Because the technology, there's no gatekeepers. So you can just distribute your stuff yourself, right? And and put it out because the avenues are there because, you know, those processes have been usurped. And so I think if distributors don't start advocating for their filmmakers a little better than they have been and giving them better deals, giving them something for their IP up front and making the deal... Um, it's, it's, it's the combination of all these things I said, right? So you, the film costs less to make, you get better cast in it, it can be four-walled, and the distributor you know, pays you a little something, but then also doesn't charge back against the production constantly, then this system can work. But if not, technology is going to replace every one of these things, and to the benefit most likely of, of the filmmaker. And so, you know, I think if you're a distributor, you're on notice now. And, and I hope that uh, we can solve this problem for filmmakers in the future. So
1: there, yeah. And I think, yeah, I think soapbox. Yeah. And, and to you know, piggyback on your soapbox, what I'm thinking is that it's going to require, you know, leverage on the part of the filmmaker Right. The filmmaker is going to have to figure out and maybe, you know, we assist in this process or this revolution, if you will, of taking back the leverage or creating the leverage, Uh, because you can see that when you talk about your top 10, top 20, maybe even top 50 distributors, um, they know like they're going to be working with cast and directors and writers and producers that have leverage. Right. So if I get a say bankable cast in my film and as a distributor, I give you a crap deal with well, that bankable cast has connections throughout the industry and can potentially impact my business by saying something about my business. Right. That Hollywood star, that TV actor that's connected, that producer or director that's part of the industry, they have leverage that they can use against a distributor or anyone else the independent filmmaker on the other hand can get a 100 crap deal and their voice means nothing yep right so they have no leverage so the less leverage you have the worse the deal that you're gonna get right and that's what we talk about you know um knowing the value of your film yeah knowing the
0: value of your film having bankable cast having there some you leverage. go Exactly. Having that's a brand, having a regional following, have a mobilized audience. And that's See, it's it's that's really <laughs> it's really not about beating down some, you know, filmmaker that isn't following this process. It's about us advocating for you because when you get to the table, the negotiation table, which is where we started this conversation, yep. you will do so, so much better because we haven't even gotten into the details of a contract where um you can really get yourself upside down and give away, you know, all your leverage. Uh, cause we haven't even touched on like, just the little clauses in contracts and maybe we'll do that on the next Indie talk where, you know, uh, that things that have become standard language that should absolutely not be standard language and are not pro, you know, the, the filmmaker, um, you know, if you will.
1: Yeah. And again, that's, you know, a contract also establishes leverage. You know, so, but yeah, these are all things that, again, getting back to what you were saying uh, about the you know, distributors and, and the kind of the hold they have on folks and even potentially the, the art houses. It's just that the filmmakers need to take back or create the leverage needed uh, to get the best deals and to create a sustainable model for their filmmaking. This is what I think, to a degree, leveling up means. Mm-hmm. You know, you have created a sustainable model for filmmaking that allows you to have a career in it. Right. That means you're getting paid on the back end um, because of the front end work that you've done. You, right. you said it earlier, leveling up meant, you know, working with better cast on better projects. Well, what does better cast give you? It gives you leverage. Yeah. Right. That's what we're talking about here. So, yeah. So if you can win back the leverage or create the leverage, then you're in a much better position to you know get into some of those art houses get into the right distribution deals and to make that money on the back end and you know create a sustainable model for your future which is i think for many people what making it really means
0: couldn't agree more and um nick we we've, we've uh hopefully not given too much information for one to absorb in a conversation, but this was always, it's always so much fun. And, um, it gives us an opportunity to sort of reach out directly to the people we hope to uh, affect the most and, um, and, and help the most. So, uh, again, Nick, thanks for the time for the conversation. Do you have any, uh, parting thoughts or, funny uh things to say to wrap us up <laughs> oh man you, you and this you and this funny things
1: to say now i don't have any funny things to say but um i brought a friend um so just uh she wanted to come in and, and say a couple of things as we as oh, we went I, out so
0: a, a guest segment on indie talk
1: yeah just, just real quick man this is you know oh, awesome. she's not gonna take too much time but um my friend margie she wanted to come in real quick so margie just real quick don't <laughs> I always got to tell her like don't get in to stuff like she just talks man it's crazy but anyway I right. told her I was doing this she was over so Margie come on
2: oh <laughs> I just wanted to say that this is so great what you guys are doing for the filmmaking industry. Uh, Christopher, you're so awesome. Your voice is so lovely. It's like velvet. You know, I listen all the time. I mean, every time. Like, every week I listen to this because it's just so smooth and velvet. It's like butter sometimes to me. I like butter in my toast and things, so I use the butter, but... I don't know why I'm saying things about butter. Velvet is a much more better description of your voice because it's just so beautiful and tender and I like to touch it and smooth it with my hands. But anyway, what you guys are doing is so wonderful and I appreciate you guys and the filmmakers who are listening should just continue listening. I mean, honestly, if you're not writing this stuff down, I don't know what you're doing with your time. I mean, I mean, come on, listen, listen. If you're using the OneNote or the Evernote, see, I, I take notes. You guys mentioned that in a previous podcast and I took the notes and I, I took it with a pencil. So whatever writing utensil you know you have, if you have a pencil, a pen, a marker, just, you know, don't don't use the permanent ones. They just get on your skin and you, it's so hard to get it off sometimes. Sometimes I use a bleacher or some, some lotion. Lotion doesn't really work. I don't even know why I used it. But I'm just saying, again, I'm so sorry. I just go on and on sometimes with Christopher and, and Nick. Nick, oh my gosh, I love you so much. What you guys Are doing, just keep doing it because it's super special. And I really hope that that people are listening to what you have to say because it's it's joyous, it's so wonderful, it's great, it's awesome. I mean, if there's other adjectives that I could give you, I'll, I'll, I'll look it up in the thesaurus or something. Oh, thesaurus, that was one of my favorite shorts. It was thesaurus, but it's not like thesaurus, it's like thesaurus. I mean, it was so genius the way they did that. And I love that film. I mean, Christopher, I know it's one of your favorite shorts ever. And I totally agree. It's just awesome. So if you get the chance to watch it, you guys should watch it. Drew Maynard. Oh, my goodness. This guy. He's just wonderful. So anyway, what am I saying? Just wonderful stuff you guys are doing. Just keep doing it. And your, your motto is awesome. Be better be creative and be engaged. Oh my gosh, I love it. I'm going to get a tattoo of that like on my shoulder (laughs) or something, you know, maybe on my hands so everybody can see it. I wouldn't want to get it (laughs) on my face. I'm not like Mike Tyson or nothing, but you know, I love stuff like that. So you guys keep doing it. It's awesome. Make it. Be creative. Oh my gosh.
1: Anyway. Okay. okay. All right. All right, Mark. That's good. Thank you. very.
2: Okay. Okay. Sorry.
1: All right. We're good. That's
0: all, man. I just wanted to (sighs) Dude, she's something I else. To, I wanted to, I wanted to give her a hug, but I also <laughs> wanted to give her a muzzle, and and it was. Uh, I wonder if she's made any. Go, go ask really quick. Uh, is she? Is she? Has she made any films?
1: Hey, hey Marty, have you made any films?
2: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I can't talk about those. You know, that
0: was oh the old NDA. So- the it old, it, 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 oh it oh longer.
2: no! Um, yeah, so, but yeah, that's no. Um, it's, you think my mom's listening? No, no. Um, no, I never made any films. I'm just gonna say that. Okay, no,
1: okay, okay, okay Margie, yeah, we're we're good. Oh,
2: okay, okay,
1: thanks, guys. Mm. Yeah, dude. Yeah, you don't wanna. I don't. I'm she never made, gonna ask. So she
0: made. She made some flicks. Yeah, I'm never. <laughs> I didn't want to know <laughs> not that. Any, dude. Not any movies. <laughs> I didn't want to know that, dude. Wow. Well, good, well, no, well, ask. Well, 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 tell her I said thank you for all the kind words. And uh, and she's she's welcome to to continue listening to the Make It podcast as much as she wants. And she should send all the questions, and everyone should, to uh, contact at bonsai.film. That's contact at B-O-N-S-A-I.film. Oh, and she and everyone else can follow us on social media at underscore Bonsai Creative or on Facebook at just Bonsai Creative. So follow us, be like uh, Margie, follow us, send us (laughs) questions, Uh, take notes. She likes notes and and thank you all for your time and for, and for listening. And we'll see you uh, again uh, next week with another interview. Oh, and this is crazy. We almost forgot to mention this. Adult Interference our film Adult Interference formerly known as Wild Man available for pre-order starting Saturday August 17th again available for pre-order on iTunes 817 you can also pre-order it right now on DVD and Blu-ray at target.com so don't talk about it be about it support independent filmmakers buy Adult Interference pre-order Adult Interference, tell a friend, and uh, help us as independent, uh, supporters of independent filmmakers, support other independent filmmakers by having some successes here uh, as we as we move forward. For sure,
1: that's, that's what's up, Adult Interference. Write it down, remember it, buy it on iTunes
0: and target.com. Yep, and it'll be many other places too. So Nick, thank you again. Uh, always have a blast and I'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. We'll talk later, man. All right. Nice. Right. Bye. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It bonsai creative if you do that the show will pop right up you can also follow us on instagram and twitter at underscore bonsai creative and on facebook by searching for bonsai creative and of course if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success go to www.bonsai.film and click on show me how to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment you have everything to gain Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.